You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. My name is Mike, uh, lead pastor at Mountain View. Glad that you're with us. We're starting a brand new series this week, just a a short, like, two-week mini-series. You saw the video there called Out of the Cave. Uh, and the name of that will make a whole lot more sense when we actually get to the, the main Bible story that uh, we're going to kind of dive deep into these next two weeks. Um, but it's on a topic that I think is really timely for most of us, many of us, and, and that's the topic of depression and, and mental health. Uh, now, I, now that I've said that, I know like some of you are like, yay, we really need to talk about this. I'm really excited. And then some of you are like, uh, did they lock the doors or can I leave or how does this work? Because, uh, you know, talking about mental health can be, um, uh, can be tough, right? It, it can be challenging for some of us. Uh, I think most of us recognize how needed of a conversation this is, uh, has been for quite a long time, but especially the last couple of years. And I think, honestly, just moving forward will become an even more important topic. Um, and, and we know it's a big issue in the world. And if it's a big issue in the world, then the church ought to have something to say about it. Because uh, God loves the world. And so we're going we're gonna to dive in on that. Because Christians, uh, we're not immune to mental health struggles, are we? Um, I've been open about my own struggles with depression and anxiety uh, in the past. If you're newer here, maybe you haven't heard me share much about it. But, uh, you know, there was a season of just a few years ago where I, I was kind of a mess and uh, didn't really know what was going on and why I felt the way I did. And so I, I entered some weekly counseling um, that was really helpful, and I still reach out to my counselor from time to time. He's actually preached here for me in the past, um, especially in the winter months, like the dreary stretch. I, I find is you know it's a seasonal thing. I mean, it can pop up other times of the year too, but especially during the winter months. In fact, it happened earlier this year. For, for I don't know why, uh, for some reason, like mid October. This year, uh, I started to, to really feel down and, and struggle with my thoughts. And so, now you may not have seen it. You may have thought, well, you seemed great, you know, and that's because I kind of have to on Sunday mornings. You know, sometimes you just put on the face that you need to to get through the day. Um, but the people who are closest to me, the people who live with me, uh, those relationships were, were being affected by my mental health. And so reached out to my counselor again, began to work with him, uh, changed some diet stuff, changed some supplements. Uh, and now I am, I, am, I am the proud owner of a sun lamp. I never thought I'd know what that is or care about it, but I call him D, as in vitamin D. And uh, he sits on my desk there in the office. So if you ever come and sit with me or whatever, and you're like, what is this like spaceship looking thing? Uh, that's the sun lamp. And so I come early and, and that's, you guys know, that's when I read and pray and do those things. And so I, um, I turn that sun lamp on in the mornings and you could do both. You know, you could pray and pursue other options. You, you could pray and soak up some sun. How, how many of you know that to be helpful? Now, the problem in Oregon is half the time the sun needs to be artificial. That's the problem. 
And, and for a lot of us, actually, that could be the root cause of a lot of our mental health struggles. Um, and so that's been, that's been really helpful for me. But just to say, Christians and pastors, we struggle with the same things that everybody else does. Just because you're a follower of Jesus, that doesn't mean that you won't have challenges when it comes to your mental health. Uh, in fact, when you start to read the Bible and you start to look at the people in the Bible as actual human beings, like they're not just characters in a story, they were real humans, you'll start to notice that they struggled with the same exact stuff that you and I struggle with, which is why it's helpful to read. Okay, so how did they get there and what did they do to get out of it? And how did God help them and what kind of things did they pursue, right? So for the next two weeks, we're gonna look at a well-known prophet, a man in the Bible named Elijah that experienced a real season, a real bout of depression. Uh, and, and a lot of this material, I wanna say up front, comes from a book called Out of the Cave by Chris Hodges. Uh, he's a pastor of uh, Church of the Highlands in Alabama, an awesome church. Uh, he's made these resources available for churches to use. So if you go online and you Google this and you're like, Mike's stealing that. Yes, yes, I am. And he gave me permission. So we're gonna lean into his book and some of his insights because I, I, I wanna make sure I give him the credit. Uh, before we go there, just a couple of, of real quick announcements I wanna make sure we're aware of. Make sure you read your bulletins, guys, because there's a lot more in there than what um, I'm gonna talk about. But today, remember, after second service is a thing we're calling the mixer. So this is just for those who are newer to the church, say like in the last you know, year or so, uh, we've got a ton of new faces. So we're just, we're mixing it up a little bit, helping you get more connected, helping you maybe get some questions answered. We're gonna do some Q and A. Um, all the staff are gonna be there. Most of the staff are gonna be there. Um, and, and you can greet them and get to know them a little bit better. We're gonna feed you. Should have led with that. We're gonna feed you uh, and, and all that. So if you signed up, make sure you come back. After second service, if you didn't sign up and you're new and you want to join us, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully have enough food. And if not, it's your fault because you didn't sign up. So, uh, but, but come, okay? We want you here. Um, the other thing I want to update you on, and uh, on this one, I'm going to ask that you hear me out. I'm going to ask that you let me get all the way to the end. And then even at the end, you wouldn't react strongly one way or the other, okay? Because this is something we haven't let divide us yet. And we're not going to start today, right? Um, for the last several months, many of you have been asking me about this, uh, but for the last several months, our church and our, our board and our staff have been talking about uh, whether or not it made sense to make any changes to our masking policy, uh, and, and if so, when and, and how would we do that with wisdom and love for everyone and all of those kinds of things. Um, and so for a variety of factors, which I won't have time to go into uh, today, uh, at Mountain View, starting on March 6th, which is two weeks from now, our official policy as a church is that masks are optional. Uh, so two weeks from now, masks will be optional. Part of why I'm giving you that heads up is so you can decide how you feel about that uh, and, and what, what you feel like you need to do as, as a result of that. Um, if you want to still wear a mask when you, when you come, no one here is going to make you feel less because of that. If you feel safer wearing a mask, I actually... Um, Recently, our church has, has gotten a bunch of N95s stocked up. We've got take-home COVID tests. We've got all kinds of other stuff to help us, you know, move forward as safe as possible. If you want any of those or you need those, or maybe you're even in the middle of the week, you need to test and you can't find a test or whatever, call the office. We've got some of those set aside. Um, but I, honestly, I'm not even sure yet what, what I'm going to do. Obviously, I don't really wear a mask when I'm up here, but when I'm walking around, I may still, I, I, I don't really know. The reality is whether you want to wear a mask or you don't want to wear a mask, you've never been made to feel like you're second class at our church and you're not going to start now having to feel any different about that. 
okay? Um, so you, even with that though, if it, you may feel like, okay, if masks are coming off, then I need to stay home and, and I need, you know, I'm more high risk or whatever. Again, no one's gonna shame you for that. And that's why we have online. That's why we have tools available for you. If you feel like that's what you need to do, um, we would love for you to join us online. But let's not make this a big deal, right? Like we haven't made it a big deal ever. The big deal about this church is Jesus, amen? So that's what we make a big deal. Everything else is kind of like, eh, whatever. Uh, so we're not gonna focus on this, but as of March 6th, let me just be, be clear. As of March 6th, two weeks from now, masks will be optional. If you have any concerns about that, if you have questions about that, or you just wanna know the reasoning or whatever, I, I'm gonna ask you to come directly to me, right? Come to me, email me, my staff, they don't need board, nope, come right to me, to each other, nope, that's not helpful because they don't really know why we made the decision either, trust me. So talk to me and I will, I will let you know kind of our reasoning and answer and, and, and just listen. Like if you just need to get something off your chest, like I'm more than happy to sit and listen about that, okay? Good? Okay, well talking about masks makes you depressed, Let's segue to a talk about depression, because uh, that could be part of it, okay? Um, if you've got a Bible, 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19 is where we're going today. If you're in the Bible app, as always, if you get to events and uh, you click on more, go to events, all of this is in there. 1 Kings 19, Old Testament story, and it's an episode in the life of a prophet named Elijah. Um, if you're not familiar with Elijah's story, can I just urge you this week and next week to read his whole story? It's only like four or five chapters long. Uh, this guy lived an incredible life. And you know, some people have this idea for some reason that the Bible is boring. And when people tell me that, I'm always like, have you read this story? Have you read, have you read Kings? Have you read the Old Testament especially? Have you read the Gospels? Like these are not snooze fests. The, in fact, these are not the kind of stories you wanna read before bed. Uh, you probably definitely don't want to read them to your children before bed. Uh, these, are, these are intense stories, and Elijah was in the middle of some pretty thick action. Okay, so if you haven't read his life, um, let me encourage you. I think it starts, I want to say, in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, and, and then goes to maybe 20, 21, something like that. Um, but we're going to re read the main story, and this week and next week is all going to be found right here in 1 Kings chapter 19. So let me start with the first verse here. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel, we'll talk about who these people are in a minute, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like, that, like one of them. Do you get what she's saying there? Like by tomorrow you're a dead man, is what she's saying. Then Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. 
He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, a few things you need to know about the context of this story. The book is called Kings. Uh, it's First and Second Kings are they're historical books. They, they tell the history of Israel in a time period, mostly tracking the kings of Israel. Right? That's why it's called First and Second Kings. It's kind of this king did that and then this king did that. And then those kings, what would happen is they would get off track with God. They would start to take the nation of Israel the wrong direction and promote sin and, and, and pull people away from God. So God would raise up a prophet to draw Israel back to him, to speak to the people, specifically to speak to the king, the word of God and say, hey, buddy, wake up, <laughs> go this direction. God is not happy about this. We need to turn around the other way. And Elijah was one of those prophets. Uh, he was one of those prophets. And so his calling then as a prophet was basically to communicate to Israel what it was that, that God wanted him to say, specifically again to the king. And in this case, the king's name was Ahab. Uh, something you need to know about Ahab, he was one of the most wicked kings in Israel's history. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 16, I'll just read it to you. It says, Ahab did more to anger God than all the kings of Israel before him. Okay, this was not a good man. This was not a guy who had the things of God in mind. His main uh, offense, if you want to call it that, was, was idolatry. He, he worshiped God. He worshiped Yahweh, but he also wanted to have some gods on the side. And, and the main god was named Baal. And he set up temples to Baal and altars to Baal. And he encouraged Israel to not only worship Yahweh. Okay, if you want to worship Yahweh, God, that's fine. But let's also worship this God. You know, it's kind of like hedging your bets. Like, I'm not sure which one of these gods will come through and which one's the best. So like, I'll just worship all of them and see what happens. That, that, that was kind of Ahab. So God raises up Elijah, the prophet, to speak to Ahab, to confront him and try to get Israel back the right direction. Elijah's name, Elijah's name literally means the Lord, Yahweh, is my God. Right? So his name is an affront to what is happening. Right? They're worshiping Baal as God and his name literally means Yahweh is my God. So that is Elijah's calling. That's, how he, that's what he does with his life. And he executes his calling with precision and power. Right, if you read again, read through his story, he sees miracles happening. That one, there's a, a scene with the widow where he, he raises a young man back to life. It's pretty impressive, right? You ever done that lately? It's been at least six months for me, I think. You know, like pretty exciting, right? Um, there's a scene you might remember. There's this showdown on Mount Carmel with all of these false prophets of Baal. Do you, have you read this story where they're competing about which God is actually paying attention and they set up this altar and they douse it with water. And essentially what happens is, is God, Yahweh, shows up and shows off and he just like shuts down this idea that Baal is even real. Um, it's, it's actually really funny. If you read the story, Elijah's kind of like, well, maybe Baal's asleep, you know, or... No joke, at one point in the story, Elijah says, well, maybe your God's uh, out going the bathroom. Yeah. It's like, the Bible's really funny. If you know what you're looking for, like it's, it's entertaining. But basically it proves that Baal is a phony. Okay, that's in 1 Kings 18, that whole story. It's just this dramatic, incredible showdown. So Elijah was, uh, was just this powerful man of God. God used him in tremendous ways, a man of faith. But Elijah was still human. 
Don't forget that. Elijah was still human like you and me. And despite his strong faith in God, despite his years of service to God and all these things, he falls here into a deep depression. Now, the Bible doesn't use that word. I think it's clear that's what's happening though, right? After the, Elijah at one point lays under a bush and asks God to kill him. Ever prayed a prayer like that? God, I'm, I'm done. Just, just take me now. And after a series of events and conversations with God, Elijah ends up in this cave. Um, I think a cave is a perfect metaphor for depression. If you've ever been there, you know. Because what are caves? Caves are extremely dark, right? You know there's an exit somewhere, but you're not quite sure where because you don't know how deep in you are. And how many of you know when you're in the dark, you're, and you, so now you can't see, your other senses actually start to take over and get stronger? You ever, you ever experienced that? Like if you close your eyes long enough and you're in the darkest long enough, your hearing actually gets stronger. You start to hear things that you're not even sure if they're there or what they are, but you can hear them crawling. There might've been a bat. This morning in our church, there was a bird. No joke. Look on our Facebook page. There was a bird in our church. You start to feel things wondering if it's real. Your senses start to go haywire on you. And you're left alone with your thoughts. And the longer you think and the more you're alone with those thoughts, the larger those thoughts become, the more they start to dominate your reality. That's a cave. And that's where Elijah's at. This great man of God is in a cave. And he was a great man of God. I mean, he, he was an incredible prophet. And so maybe the first point, if, you, if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down, but maybe the first thing for us to realize is that your faith does not exempt you from depression. And depression doesn't disqualify your faith. Amen? Your faith doesn't exempt you from depression and depression doesn't disqualify your faith. Elijah was an incredible man of faith. Read his story. So is Jeremiah, by the way. Jeremiah is another major prophet. Have you ever read Lamentations? Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. It's the most depressing book in the entire Bible. Think about Paul, right? Paul is this amazing missionary for God. He writes half of the New Testament that you and I read in our Bibles. And yet he even had series and episodes in his life where I think he struggled with this. By 2 Corinthians, let me read how Paul describes one particular season in his life. Listen to the language of this. He says, we thought you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. Right? Paul's like, I, I didn't know if I was gonna make it. I was overwhelmed. That sounds like depression in a lot of ways. So you got Elijah, Jeremiah, Paul, we could list other spiritual giants so just understand that your, your mental health is not, a, is not necessarily an indicator of your spiritual maturity. Those two things don't necessarily go together. And your spiritual maturity does not exempt you from mental health struggles. I'm not sure why we play that game sometimes in the church. 
like, for example, when I was a kid, uh, I, I had jacked up teeth. Like, it was gnarly. It was bad. I'll save you a picture. I'm not going to put it up there. Don't ask, okay? But I had, te- I had teeth come that were growing in my palate, like behind where your teeth are, coming down in my soft palate. I had teeth that had to get pulled. I had this like weird chain thing that had to go on there. And I had these really special braces. Uh, still right now, I have permanent retainers behind both my upper and my lower teeth. They're just like cemented on with, I don't even know, Gorilla Glue or something. They've been on for I don't even know how many years. And, and, and none of us hear that and think, wow, Mike must really lack faith. Right? You're laughing because you're like, well, that would be silly. Why would we think that? You don't think less of me because my teeth were a little crooked or a lot crooked. And so I needed to seek out help and, and, and medicine and stuff like that to, to get them straight, right? So why do we sometimes do that with mental health? Why is mental illness different? Why, why would we ever think less of ourselves or less of someone else because their brains need a little help? I'm not sure why we do that. Some, sometimes, not, not all the times, but, but sometimes there is a biological, chemical root to depression that needs to be addressed. Sometimes we need a little help to clear the fog and to see the light, to see where the entrance of the tunnel even is or the cave. And so, I mean, I've said this before, but it bears repeat. I, I am pro-medication if a doctor says that you need it. I'm not pro-self-medication. I'm pro-medication if a doctor says you need it. I'm pro-counseling. I go to a counselor. He's awesome. You can't have him because <laughs> he knows too much about me, <laughs> Okay. Sometimes we need a little help and that's okay. That doesn't make you weak. That makes you normal. But on the, on the other side of that conversation, and this is, I think, the contribution of the church, is for us to realize that our infirmity is not our identity. So we, we have to hold these intentions. Yes, depression is real. And yes, sometimes we need to seek help. But depression is not who we are. I would never introduce myself as, hey, my name is Pastor Mike with the jacked up teeth. And I'd be like, that's weird. Yeah, I just did, didn't I? <laughs> Next service, I'm going to change that. That's, that's not who I am. That was a season in my life that I got help for. That was an obstacle, right, that I was born with genetically. And unfortunately, it probably passed on to my children. Braces are expensive, y'all. Do you know that? Pray for your pastor. Okay. But I've overcome that, right? I'm in a different place now. And it's the same way with depression or addiction or whatever infirmities you have. Those things are a part of your story, but they don't define it. They're not who you are. And you are a son or daughter of the most high God. That's who, who you are. You are created in God's image. So it's not God's will for you to just stay stuck and be held in bondage to to anything in your life, including depression, including mental illness. I don't think that's his will for your life. He wants to help us out of the cave. And so next week, we're gonna look at a few things that God does with Elijah, how he helps Elijah get out of the cave. 
But you know, it's hard to know how to get out of somewhere if you don't know how you got in there to begin with. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Um, now, I want to I wanna tell you something, and you guys know 95% of the time in my illustrations, it's clear that I'm the idiot in my marriage, right? <laughs> Most of my stories are like, boy, I was stupid. Let me tell you about this thing I did. This is not one of those. <laughs> this is the other 5%, okay? I, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what it is. Generally, my wife is really good with directions. Um, she's actually the way better driver of the two of us. So on long road trips and stuff, she likes to drive and I pretend to help. Uh, and, and that's how it works for us. Um, I don't, but I don't know why, but when we exit, okay, when we're going down the highway and we exit for like gas or, or food or whatever, I know, I have learned that it is my job to make sure I know what exit we took and which direction we turned. Because when we get gas or we, we get food and it's time to then get back on the road, my wife will inevitably need to ask me, do I turn left or right here? I, I don't know why, but if I'd let her go, 95% of the time she will choose the wrong direction and we will go back the way we came instead of back down the road the way we were going. Right? She just loses track of where she came from and that's a problem, isn't it? Right? If, if you don't know how you got there, you're gonna take a wrong turn trying to get back out. And I, I think the same thing happens a lot of times with depression, right? We feel what we feel. We know how we're doing, but we don't know how we got there, right? We don't know how we got into the cave. And if we don't know how we got into the cave, it's going to be really hard to figure out how to get out. This is true for a lot of things in our life, not just depression. And so how did Elijah end up in this cave? I want to look at that. And, and what might that mean for, for you and me when we find ourselves in this place, okay? So four things I, I find in his story here. There's, there's actually more. There's like six or seven, but we're going to just look at four today. The first thing is an unhealthy pace, an unhealthy pace of life. Uh, one of the most fascinating parts of this story for me is that it comes on the heels of some of Elijah's greatest victories, like you think that he would be just like on cloud nine and happy and like everything was great because again, he, he had that healing story I mentioned where this young boy comes back to life. Um, he, defeat the, he defeats the 850 prophets of Baal in this dramatic showdown on Mount Carmel, which I mean, it's just, it's an awesome thing. And he's kind of right in the middle of it, gets to gloat and brag a little bit about his God. And I mean, he's just going great. Then um, right after that rain comes, which is significant because they've been in a three-year drought and Elijah sends this whole messenger thing. It's this, real, again, really cool story. And all of a sudden it starts raining and the drought is broken. So they're like celebrating that like God's brought the rain and, and the land is healed and all these things. So you'd think he'd be on cloud nine, right? And then all it takes is a mean tweet. All, all it takes is a, a letter, a messenger from Jezebel that he's a dead man. And he starts to spiral quickly. Why? That's, that's my question. Why, why did it hit Elijah so hard? It's not even face-to-face. Ahab and Jezebel and him don't even have this face-to-face confrontation. It's, it would be like getting a, a text message after church today or, or scrolling through your social media and seeing something that triggers you or bothers you and just completely losing it. I mean, why does... Why does that upset Elijah so much? 
And I think it's because Elijah's exhausted. I think he's burned out and tired. In fact, notice in the story, if you read through it again, on three different occasions, Elijah tries to lay down and sleep. And the angel wakes him up, right? And he goes back to sleep and the angel wakes him up. He, he's been going and going and going for God, right? And that's the hardest part probably. He's like, well, I'm doing all these things for God. So they're great things. And now he's burned out. Did you know that most skiing accidents on the mountain happen between 3.30 and 5 p.m.? This is interesting. Between 3.30 and 5, it's what a lot of mountains would call the last run of the day. or It's when they start telling people, hey, you need to wrap it up, get a final run in, we're going to close the mountain. And, and I was reading this article, and, and these ski patrol guys said there's two reasons why that's when most accidents happen. The first is because the conditions are generally worse. Um, right, the sun has come out and melted the snow during the day a little bit. That starts to harden as the sun goes down, which makes the mountain passes a lot more slick and icy, and it's just harder to ski. That, that's the first reason. But in this article, the ski patroller said that the biggest factor by far is that by the end of the day, skiers have grown overconfident and overtired. That's a bad combo. When you're overconfident and yet overly tired. Going for one last run when you're already exhausted is a recipe for disaster. Some of us, we just live at an unhealthy pace and eventually it catches up to us. The opposite can be true as well, right? Depression can hit when we're overly busy, but depression can also hit when we're not active enough. When we're just kind of sitting around too much. We just don't have enough things going on in our life. Right? Our, our minds and our bodies are intricately connected. God has created, we, we tend to like separate these things all in categories. But what you do with your body, what you fuel your body with food-wise, all of those things contribute to how you feel, to how you think. So Dr. Stephen Elardi, I think that's how you say his last name. He, he wrote a book on, uh, called The Depression Cure. And here's what he says. Uh, we were never designed for the sedentary indoor, sleep-deprived, socially isolated, fast-food-laden, frenetic pace of modern life. The way that you and I generally live our lives today is not the way that God, he, he's not a Christian, but he would just say the research just shows that the way most of us live our lives and are encouraged to live our lives don't line up with how we're designed. And sometimes it's our unhealthy pace on either side of the spectrum, way, way, way too busy or way, way, way not busy enough that contribute to our mental health. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is the, I'll just call it the comparison trap. Right, the comparison trap. Look again at 1 Kings 19 with me. There's a, there's a random comment Elijah makes in here that when I read it, I thought, what? He sits down under this bush or this tree. He asks God to take his life. And then he just randomly says, I'm no better than my ancestors. What does that have to do with anything? Right? That, you read the story and you're like, that's random. Why does he even bring that up? But for some reason, they're on his mind. And what is he doing? He's comparing where he's at in his life. He's comparing what he's accomplished and how he's feeling all these things with 
his ancestors. Now, I think he's actually trying to say that, that he is, is just as bad as they are, that he's no better, right? But either way, he's, he's caught in the comparison trap. And Teddy Roosevelt, other people said it, but Teddy Roosevelt once said that comparison is the thief of joy. It is the thief of joy. When you're always comparing your life and where you're at and what you're gonna do with like what other people are doing. Maybe this is why so many studies have shown pretty definitively that there's a direct link between social media and when it became kind of common and all of us started using it and the rise of anxiety and depression. Like if you look at the chart, it's like here's the year where cell phone and smartphones became ubiquitous and everyone was using them. Here's the year when like Facebook reached, I forget what it is, like 5 billion users or something like that. And the chart literally goes with depression and anxiety. And some of us... We know this because we gave up social media for our 21-day fast, and it was the most peace-filled, joyful 21 days we've had in a really long time. And then like I did with coffee, we went back to it on day 22, and we've been anxious ever since. I can't figure out why. It's like, huh, I wonder if there's a link. We don't need to compare ourselves all the time with other people. Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. There's a lot of verses in here that talk about it, but this one's, I think, key. It says, each one should test their own actions. Then they could take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. When Elijah stands before God, he won't have to answer for anyone else but himself. And the same is true for you and me. Like, never mind what other people are doing or what they're saying or how they're living their life or whatever. Pray for them, bless them. But like you and I, when we stand before God, he's not gonna ask us about somebody else's life or how they lived or what they did. He's gonna ask about ours. So we don't wanna get stuck in this comparison trap. Okay, number three uh, is poor self-talk. Right, the things that we say to ourselves. One of the biggest factors that often contribute to anxiety and depression, what psychologists call rumination. You know what rumination is? Those of you who own cows, you have a ruminating animal, right? Cows, uh, see camels, goats. There's, there's a, you know, giraffes apparently. Didn't know that. Giraffes are ruminating animals. To ruminate means to chew again. So, so what do cows do, right? They take a bite of the grass and they chew that for a little bit. And then they swallow it down. And then they have some enzymes in their stomach that kind of pull some of the nutrients and break it out. And then what do they do? They bring it back up. They start chewing on it again, called chew the cud, right? They chew on it, swallow it back down, bring it back up. They do that a few different times. To, to ruminate is to chew again. And this is what Elijah is doing in the story with his thoughts, particularly with his negative thoughts, right? If you read the next part of the story, God tries to kind of get a hold of Elijah and, and help him think better and open his eyes to reality, but he just keeps repeating this negative thing to himself, right? Two times, here's what he says. This is in 1 Kings 19, 10. He says, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, right? This, this is Elijah saying like, I've done everything I was supposed to do for you, God, I've been a good prophet. I've been a man of faith. 
But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. Like I'm the only person that's faithful to you. All these other losers have turned their back and I'm, I'm just stuck here by myself. And now they're trying to kill me too. How many of us know if something doesn't taste good going down the first time, it's probably not gonna taste better going down the second time, right? Depression causes us to get stuck in this cycle. Two times, Elijah repeats the same exact words. He says the same exact thing and God tries to say the same exact thing back to him to try to get him to think differently, to open his eyes to reality. But what happens in depression is we get stuck in this cycle where we're repeating lies to ourselves. And those lies start to shape how we feel. And how we feel starts to shape how we act and behave. And the cycle just keeps on spinning. Because Elijah's not telling the truth here, as we're gonna see next week. God, God tries to wake him up. Like, Look, you're not alone. You're not the only one. All hope is not lost, Elijah. But he doesn't want to hear it because he's ruminating. Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says, So let, letting your sinful nature or your flesh control your mind leads to what? Death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. We have to submit our thoughts to God. We have to watch what we think about. How, how we chew on it for too long. And I wonder how many of us would improve our mental health by s- simply making an adjustment to how we speak to ourselves or what we get stuck on or, or better yet, like rather than always speaking to ourselves, allowing God's voice to come through and quiet our voice and our thoughts and allow his voice to be louder, to get into his word, allow his word to start dwelling in our minds more than our own negative thoughts. The last one that we'll talk about, again, there's a couple more things I could point out, but the last one I want to point out is isolation, right? Isolation. Um, I think the biggest mistake Elijah makes in this story is really, really hard to see. It's, it's easy to see and miss it and, and not catch what, what's happening. But remember, Elijah's coming down off this mountaintop experience, literally. He's on Mount Carmel, but it's this incredible moment, defeats the prophets. God sends the rain. The drought is broken. Like Israel's throwing a party, essentially. And then he gets the death threat. And, and what does Elijah do? Right, verse 3, 2 Kings 19, 3. says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he'd left his servant there while he himself alone went a day's journey into the wilderness. Did you catch it? See, one of the things about being a prophet, like it was already a pretty lonely life. A lot of people don't really wanna be friends with the guy whose job is to run around and tell them that God's mad. Prophets didn't have a lot of friends. 
He doesn't have a strong support system, but he has this servant, right? We don't know a lot about this servant. Probably a young boy who's hoping that God will call him next to follow in Elijah's footsteps. It actually becomes a man, uh, ends up being a different guy named Elisha. But you have this servant who's waiting on Elijah, who's, who's his helper. And when Elijah starts to despair, it says he leaves him behind. He says, you stay here. And he goes out into the wilderness, the Negev, which is the desert, by himself. No friends, no spouse that we know of. Nobody. Where he can do what? Ruminate even more all by himself with no one there to speak into his life. And and we've said this a lot over the last few weeks, but it bears repeating. Isolation is a killer. You were not made to live alone. And it's, we know that's true spiritually, but then even mentally, like for our mental health, we are better together. We are made for each other. Romans chapter 12, four and five says, for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We're, we're like one family. We're, we're one body. Each of us are different. We all have different roles. Right after this, Paul lists some spiritual gifts, some different roles and gifts that, that God has given people for the sake of others. You know, God didn't gift you for yourself. He gifted you to use that in the church and use that to build up other people. And it makes me wonder how this moment in Elijah's life might have been different if instead of running off into the wild by himself, if he would have got together with some other people or if he would have maybe kept his servant with him. What if if his servant had the gift of encouragement? Like what if that was his servant's gift and he could have used it in that moment to speak a word of encouragement into Elijah? What, What if when he started all this negative talk and throwing a pity party, I've done all these things for God and I'm the only one left and what? What if the servant would have grabbed him, hugged him, and said, man, like, remember how far God's brought you? Do you not remember what? I just saw the miracle that you saw. Like, wake up, Elijah. God loves you. And you're not alone. Now let's knock it off and go grab some Chipotle or something. Like, Sometimes, seriously though, there's a reason why the angel is like, hey, here's a snack. Like sometimes you need to take a nap and eat some food. But now Elijah's all on his own. He's got nobody telling him anything. He's got no one speaking into his life. Next week, we're gonna look at how God restored Elijah and got him out of the cave. And it's really interesting. One of the first things he tells him, he, he sends him to other people. He sends him to go get around some other people and stop being alone. So if you're here, like, let's say you're experiencing depression today. Maybe you would use that word. Maybe you wouldn't. For some of us, that's a loaded term. We don't want to use it. I didn't want to use that word in my life for a really long time until I met with a counselor and did some tests. And so he said, have you ever thought about that you've been depressed? Well, no, I couldn't be depressed. I'm a pastor. I don't get depressed. Other people get depressed. People with problems get depressed. First time I'd ever thought about, yeah, maybe that is kind of what I'm feeling. 
But either way, whether you want to use that word or not, part of your way out of the cave is to figure out how you got there in the first place. Could you be living at an unhealthy pace? Either too busy or too sedentary. Your bodies and your mind are are intricately connected and and we've got to take one, take care of one to see fruit in the other. Are you too busy? Are you not busy enough? Have you been caught up in a comparison trap? Is that is that dragging you down? Is that infecting your thinking and your, your view of yourself? Maybe it's the poor self-talk. How's your self-talk? Like, what kind of things are you telling yourself? I remember sitting in my counselor's office, just pouring out, this is like three years ago, all of these things. Counselors are worth their money because, man, they just listen to you spew a bunch of stuff. Like, I was just... And I remember when I'm done, I'll never forget. He said, Mike, you're not very kind to yourself. He was right. (laughs) I still can go there. Are you being kind to yourself? In your head? Like what you think about? Or are you ruminating? Are you chewing on negativity and, and lies? We have a spiritual enemy who's known as the father of lies. He wants to put lies in your head and allow you to just keep stewing on that stuff until you're trapped. And then lastly, are you too isolated? And this is the hardest one because when you're depressed, the last thing sometimes you want to do is be around other people. And yet you know it's the very thing you probably need. We have to find a way to get outside of ourselves, to help others, to get our mind off of ourselves, literally. Get in community with other people. Look at what other people are going through. Serve others like we were made for each other. I've said it before, one of God's greatest gifts to us is us. For a lot of us, that's how we get out of the cave. We, we got in there because we, we got out of community and for the last couple years, that's been pretty automatic. Like we didn't really have a choice. Some of us are isolated because of the events of the last couple of years. And part of why you need to be here is to just be around other people. The other part of why you need to be here is because you might be the person that other people need to be around, right? I've, I've been trying to encourage others and saying, you know, not only do you need church, but the church needs you. Like your presence beside someone today, your word of encouragement, the relationship that you might form with them, whoever you gave your phone number to last week, because you all did that, right? Because you love challenges, yeah. So whoever that was, like, what if you're the person God has to help them out of the cave? Just by reaching out and saying, hey, I'm here for you. You need to talk. I'm gonna go for a walk. You need the church, but the church needs you to use your gift, to play your part. Next week, we'll look and see how God got Elijah out of the cave. What are some of the things God did with him? But again, to to know how to get out, you kind of got to know how you got there. So let's let's talk to God. I want to just speak with God for a little bit. Why don't you just take a moment, be present to the Lord. Close your eyes with me.
Father, I don't know what kinds of things people are carrying into the room today, what kind of week they've had, where they feel like they're at on the scale of mental health. Lord, I I know for me it's been a really hard week. Should have probably expected that with the topic. And I know a lot of us are coming in just feeling exhausted, tired, maybe even depressed. We need you to speak to us. We need you to replace the thoughts in our minds that tell us that we're the only one or that maybe there's something wrong with us or we just lack faith or everyone's out to get us or whatever it is that contributes to us being in the cave, Lord. We need to hear your voice above all of that. I'm convinced that while depression is a real thing that we need to take seriously and handle and deal with and get help for, I'm just as convinced that it's not your will for our life. It says that you came to set us free. It is for freedom that you've set us free. I think that includes things like mental illness. So we ask for your peace to invade our lives. We ask for your love to flood our hearts. God, help us to just be aware. Help us to just look outside ourselves. Not only will that help us with our own mental health, but there might be someone around us who's crying out for help. There might be someone who, who looks like they have it all together on the outside, but on the inside, they're dying. They want to give up. And all it would take is a phone call or a lunch or a walk to help them see the light, to help them out of the cave. Lord, help us to be your people and to do your work this week. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. So obviously, a um, bit of a heavier topic this week and next, and I say it every week, but if, if you want to talk, if you need someone to talk to today, if you want to pray, please don't leave today without finding me and praying or, or Betsy or Shelly or any of our staff would love to pray with you. Pray with each other. You don't have to be a pastor to pray with someone. You know that, right? Like, we're the body of Christ to minister to one another, but if you're struggling, would you reach out, right? You're not alone. Would you reach out? Uh, next week, again, we'll talk about how did Elijah get out of that place? Now we see how he's got in there. How did God get him out? I'd love for you to invite somebody with you. I think, again, this topic is something that we need to talk about desperately right now. And I think it's something that even people who don't go to church or aren't sure what they believe about Christ or whatever would go like, yeah, that's a conversation I want to have. Uh, So I'd encourage you to bring somebody back with you next week. All right. Have a good one.